Hey, what's going on? Boo, boo, boo. Welcome to our Halloween episode of Angular Air. Uh, I'm your host, Justin Schwarzenberger. I believe that's who I am. I got my narwhal headgear on today, and I'm dressed up as the Broncos offense, which is like the most scariest thing in the world right now. So, boo. Uh, today, we are going to be checking out uh, the latest and greatest with Angular Fire and Firebase. We got a pretty cool guest today, uh, but first, let's meet our panelists. Joining us, uh, we got Austin. Austin, what's going on? How's it going, everyone? I actually didn't ha don't have my costume today, so my dog is filling in for me. <laughs> That's pretty uh, uncanny. Yeah, I, I I feel like you missed the opportunity to just like start talking, and you would just be the dog. <laughs> <laughs> have you seen that app, My Talking Pet? It is epic. Yes, you sent that to me, and and I use it all the time, and it's yeah, it's <laughs> nice. That thing's cool. All right, uh, Bonnie's with us. Bonnie, what's going on? Hi, whole lot of love. It's Halloween. We got a bowl full of chocolate, and uh, we're ready to go. And I have my dog, but my dog's not nearly as cooperative as Austin's dog, so my dog doesn't get camera time. Nice. We got Mike with us. Mike, what's going on? Not too much. I got my uh, Firebase headband on. I'm all set for today's episode. Uh, I've got a cornucopia of different uh, props. I've got my Moana paddle. Nice. My daughter, my daughter is uh, Moana for Halloween today, so uh, I'm barring her paddle. And is that a, a Eagles jersey that you got going on there? It is. I saw you with your Broncos jersey, and I was like, wait a minute. Eagles and Broncos play next week, so we can do battle during the show today. Yeah, that I, I don't even want to watch that. So you've got an Eagles jersey <laughs> on. Bonnie, I think you have a Saints jersey on. Is that correct? Yeah, the Saints. They won this weekend. Yeah, so you guys aren't dressed up as anything scary. You guys are like positive happy things right as a broncos fan i know you're scared of the eagles defense so i'm invoking fear in others <laughs> okay uh, that, good good response i like that i like that all right our guest today i i, I can't even get over this uh is the awesome david east david uh i think that's you what's going on oh it's hard to breathe in that thing it's good <laughs> and uh and brocky uh the Broncos aren't scared of the Eagles defense. They're just scared of any defense at this point. So I say that as a Broncos fan, as a person sitting in Denver, Colorado right now. Nice. Which which has to be hard. It's hard for me out here in Cali being a Broncos fan. But uh, yeah, even rough for you, I'm sure. We'll have to tweet back and forth during the game this weekend. No, mm -mm, no it's mm, yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I think we'll be doing some angular programming or something during that time. I mean, something that will feel positive and happy. I don't know. Laundry, <laughs> yard, any, anything, taxes, never too early. Nice. All right. So I know there's some new stuff. We got some new angular fire version out, right? Re recently released. We got some, a bunch of new stuff out of Firebase. What's going on uh, over there in that front, David? Yes, about, uh, Maybe a month ago now, uh, less than a month ago, we released our brand new database called Firestore. And so I've been on Firebase for about three and a half years now. And when I first joined, we were just a, a database and an auth system. And with the database people for uh, years, they would get onboarded with the database and they would like just a script tag. You could have like connection to a database doing real time sync and people were like really excited about it. 
But we, since we were a NoSQL database and really a very loose NoSQL database at that with just a JSON like object as your backing, a lot of people had difficulty learning out how to structure data. We'd have to teach them how to do denormalization and managing your own indexes and stuff like that. And it, even with that, the querying still could be kind of limited. And people just really wanted to be able to do nested structures. And people also asked for offline. And so we, uh, a bit ago, started working on a database in collaboration with the cloud data store team. And if you don't know cloud data store, they're kind of like this extremely scalable database that Google made. It's uh, really, really big. People are on it, like Snapchat and whatnot. And so we built sort of this next generation of the Firebase real-time database and cloud data store we call it a Firestore. And so it kind of answers all of the problems that uh, people had been facing when they had gotten to scale. Like, you uh, don't really have to worry about like what happens as your data scales, this database just scales with you. Uh, the querying is way, way more powerful. You can nest your data structures. And then my favorite feature is that you can do persistent offline data, and you don't actually, like, you don't really do anything. You just do one line of code, and you have an offline-enabled app. But wait, that, that brings up a very important question. All right. Do, do I need a new headband? No, that headband is still good. Um, we, uh, I don't foresee another logo redesign uh, anytime soon. Excellent. Those are the important questions we need answered. Yeah. When we actually redesigned the logo and relaunched, we relaunched with something. We went from three features to like... 14 features overnight, and we redesigned the logo. And at I.O., everyone was like, oh my god, the new logo is amazing. And I kept asking them, I was like, oh, what do you think about the features? Like, I haven't really looked into that yet, but I really want a sticker or a t-shirt, because that logo, yeah, that's really the big reason here. So um, OK, so give us a little update on that. Uh, why don't you tell everybody, because um, I guess there's a possibility that some of our viewers might not know too much about who you are uh, and your background and stuff like that. Can you give us a little quick rundown of, of you? And um, also, I want to hear some, uh, are, are you back recording more videos and stuff for Firebase? Because they're super entertaining. It's true. I did not introduce myself. Well, I'm I'm David East. I'm a developer advocate on Firebase slash Google. And like I said, I've been around doing that for uh, a bit now. And uh, most of the things I do every day is I work on the Angular Fire library, and uh, I also record YouTube videos, as Justin said. And so, yes, I actually am about to wrap up a, the, I did a whole series on server-side rendering across like a bunch of popular JavaScript frameworks, and I'm about to wrap that up right now. And then I actually don't know what I'm going to record next. What was the best one? The best one? What's, what is like the... Uh, What's your, what is your definition of best? I don't know. Awesome. <laughs> best as in like, this was the easiest to do, or best as in this performed the best, this was the fastest, or, or like? Combination of all of them. The best one, as far as like what was easiest to do, um, it's you know being extremely opinionated in that. For me, it was Angular, but that was only because I could just ping Vikram, you know, who runs Angular, <laughs> and just be like, I don't know how this works, and he would just respond to me and get it working. So that was really easy. Um, otherwise, like they were actually all fairly easy to do. Um, like. Uh, 
And I think Next.js was a little tricky because it has an asynchronous, and so does Nuxt, the view one. They're kind of tricky because they have these asynchronous boot ups, which sometimes can like, you know, trick you. But once you get them down, like it's not that hard. They're all pretty easy to do. You just kind of have to spend like a solid day reading documentation. But as far as speed goes, I don't think anyone really beats Preact because it's super, super small. Gotcha. Thanks. Sorry, I didn't mean to like sidetrack everyone, but I, I was curious for myself and I'm sure others. Yeah, it's fine. No, I'll leave a link to the series and wherever you leave links to. And, uh, and then you can check that out if you're interested. Okay, so really quick about this uh, Firestore and Firebase and uh, Mike holding up the logo and everything like that. Like, so there's a difference there between those two? Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, so there's still two databases. We didn't, and the uh, real-time database is the, you know, sort of the first, when people say Firebase, that's really what they think of. They think of that database. And we're not, um, we're not deprecating it or like, you know, forcing people off of it. We have this new database and then we have the real-time database and they, uh, they're, they both have their own use cases and uh, like they both shine in uh, different situations. Uh, Firestore though, like we think will cover most people's, uh, will cover like what most people want. And also it follows a model that most people are asking for. It's uh, similar to MongoDB in the sense that it does uh, collection, document, collection, document. And that's a really like, it's really the way that most people are, are looking to structure their data with NoSQL. Um, you can actually, I was just at Chrome Dev Summit last week, and uh, when I was, I was explaining this out to people, as soon as I said, oh, it's a, it's a document database, everyone was like, oh, okay, I know how to do that now. But then I'd have to explain sort of how you structure data with the real-time database, and then they were like, oh, I get it, I could treat it like a document database, but, oh, but I kind of have to figure out how to optimize it for my app. Whereas when you're doing, if you've ever dealt with Mongo or any, you know, popular NoSQL database before, this is like right in step with that. So the real-time database, is that similar to like RethinkDB type thing? Um, it, sort of. Like RethinkDB was, uh, what it did was really cool is that it had, it had this really powerful querying language called Requel, which is this really fancy uh, JavaScript library. And uh, what you could do is you could express this really uh, strong query and then say dot subscribe or changes, I can't remember what it was. And then that every time there was an update to your database, it would rerun your requel query and give you the new results. Uh, but then it was up to you to take that data and bus it down to the uh, client. Like they, uh, it wasn't until later in the game when they started doing Horizon that they started to uh, bridge the gap between those two. Um, but with the real-time database, it's, uh, it, it's not as... Uh, it's not as strong as a NoSQL database as, as Rethink is in terms of like structuring and everything. Like it's very loosely structured. Like the NoSQL, the real-time database is literally just a JSON object that you, that you define paths to. And what we handle really well though that Rethink and a lot of other uh, databases haven't handled is that you just drop in a script tag and then we like handle the WebSocket connections that hook up to it. And then we handle the latency compensation between it. We do the caching, we do all these things, the optimistic updates and everything. So you don't actually, uh, 
you don't actually have to know that you are even using a WebSocket. Or if your environment doesn't support WebSockets or, the, or some, for some reason the WebSocket flakes, it will fall back to polling. So it handles a lot of like really powerful things for you uh, that it's just really awesome to take for granted because having like been through that code base before, I'm not sure I could ever write like 90% of that myself. Interesting. Interesting. Dive on, Dive on that. that. Yeah, and so with Firestore, it's the same team that, that wrote the SDK the, for the real-time database, wrote the SDK for Firestore, and it does uh, more than the real-time database does, primarily as far as offline goes. So with the real-time database, if you lost the connection while your app was running, the uh, SDK would still run and everything would be fine, but if you refreshed your page, then it would just totally you know, boot out. Uh, if you you know even if you had a service worker up and running, it would still wouldn't be able to connect, and so it wouldn't have any data. But with the Firestore SDK, you enable the uh, offline persistence up front, and then when the user does refresh their page, and you know the service worker starts serving everything, uh, Firestore actually has all the data cached in IndexedDB, and so it runs from there. And then when you go online, it actually is able to sync with the server and actually manage the conflicts that happened while you were offline. So it uh, it's and doing that uh, by hand is uh, really really difficult. That sounds so beautiful. It is beautiful. I uh, for years and years wanted to see that, and so finally uh, when. I got to play around with it in a beta. It was amazing. I built a, um, I built a fake assistant, uh, Google Assistant app based off of one of our team members is like one of the top in the world in Stack Overflow. He's like 140,000 Stack Overflow rep. And so I used the Stack Overflow API, scraped it, stored it in Firestore, and then I used the, the speech, the web speech API, and then you would ask a question, and then it would answer it and read it out to you. But the trick was is that it was random. I didn't do any like ML analysis on the data. You would ask a question, and then I would just randomly pick an answer. And the way he would answer to you was so friendly that it always seemed like he was going to answer your question. But then it would be about something completely random. He'd be like, oh, that's a great question. This is how you fix this. You need to serialize the XML. And you're like, whoa, that's not what I asked you. And the cool thing was is that it worked entirely offline. Like after you booted up the app and installed everything, you could not go online ever again and the entire app would just work. That's awesome. That is cool. That is cool. So I got a question. What um, if for people out there who have used Firebase and maybe they used it not for the real time, but just for the simplicity of use and and uh, the integration with Angular, and now there's this Firestore. Should they be thinking about migrating to Firestore, or um, you know, I don't know how often that that's happened, but I think that people would kind of. I mean, that was a great thing about Firebase, even though it was real time. Like real time was a big sell of it, right? But the fact that like there was this Angular Fire and this you know ease of integrating it, and documentation around using it with your Angular applications, you can have this kind of like you know SQL like object oriented object type of data store. Um, or document type data store, sorry, um, made it real easy to kind of adapt to Firebase. But even, you know, now Firestore sounds like maybe that's something more I want, right? If I had used Firebase, does that make sense? So for as far as migration goes, like, you should only, like, consider migrating from the real-time database to Firestore if you see something that is, like, a need for you. So, like, if you're... 
uh, if offline is really important to you, if you're dealing with uh, your data structure is kind of becoming unruly and you see that like a nested data structure could really help you. Um, or you, you've been indexing like crazy because you've been wanting to get stronger querying, like then the migration totally works for you. But a lot of people, they've built out these like really nice denormalized structures and they, they've made the real-time database like work with them and it, uh, and there's no reason for them to migrate because it just it just works. Um, I don't think that you know we're definitely not telling people like, hey, we have this new thing, you should upgrade it to it. Like we like it, it's only like if the real time database works for you, then that's awesome. Keep using that. It's still like it's still fully supported by us. We like you know fully staff team on it. Um, so like if if you have the need for it, then go for it. And like an Angular Fire still has you know uh, database real time database support and. Uh, Firestore support, so there's not like any level of commitment, you know, being dropped from it. So if I have a system that's currently using Firebase and I hit one of those reasons that you just uh, stated for wh whichever one, and I upgrade my backend from Firebase to Firestore, what's uh, what am I looking at from the front end? Am I still able to use the Angular Fire library? Is that the same library to access Firebase and Firestore, or what are we looking at from the front end there? So actually, when um, so with when they uh, when before launch, one of the project managers in Firestore came up to me and was like, "I want Angular Firestore on launch day. So go and like design this thing up and build that." So I went and I uh, designed up an API that I really had wanted to build out with Firestore. And then after I did that, I realized. I really like to put this API in the real-time database. And so I went and I actually built it out for the real-time database and refactored it and then put a proposal out that said, hey, what does everyone think of this? Because we hadn't launched Firestore yet, so I really wanted to see if people liked it. And that way I could get feedback on the thing I was about to launch and see if it was any good. And so people really liked it because we... Um, we essentially were just Angular Fire is pretty much this really nice way of mapping observables uh, from Firebase data, uh, and we sort of just sort of create our. We used to create our own custom observables and our custom operators and do things in our own way, and that became really hairy as RX matures and does things. We really didn't want to be sort of like this extra abstraction on top of RxJS, and we also would just return to you the state of your data. So if you had a list of objects, we returned you a list of objects. If you had just an object, we returned you an object. And that's like 90% of the time what people wanted, but there's this really strong like 10% uh, base that was probably just as vocal as the 90% who would say like, we need something more than that. Like rather than just you giving me back the state of my data, I want the events that lead to that state. Like I want essentially if something gets added, I want to know that it was added. And if something was removed, I want to see the removed item. And they want this sort of trail of state. And then they can compute whatever they wanted. And these are mostly NGRX users. So they uh, they wanted to essentially get a like action by action replay of what's going on in their app. And then they compute in their store whatever data structure they like. So they their state might be more complicated than an array. Like they might have a dictionary, they might have whatever like structure they have. They want this really granular control over that. And that was something that we, you know, in the beginning when that was happened, I just tell people like, oh, the Firebase SDK can also be used in Angular, so just go use that. And uh, and then when I tried doing it myself, I was like, oh, this is a lot of work. 
So I went out and with the new library, I kept a lot of the old features of just getting data back as observables, just getting your list back or your object back. But now it's extremely flexible in the way that you can say like, hey, tell like there's a method called state changes where you say like, hey, give me an observable. Just anytime a state happens, just like any state change, just call that back, emit that back, like something got added, great. And so this is not only just great for NGRX users, but for for UI where you're trying to show someone that something occurred. So you can still have your state sync. So it's like a list of items are being synced to the page, but you're also saying like, all right, I want to tell the user that like one item was updated uh, or like this name item was updated. State changes is beautiful for that because that down in some little like, you know, pop up or something, you can sync that to your UI and it can say, oh, this was added. And then something green pops up and it's like new item added or something was removed and then something red pops up and it's like, oh, we removed this. And that's not something that state usually gives you unless you want to compute the difference yourself. And so the new library is able to say like, hey, here's your state if you want it. And also here's all of the things that are happening uh, on your state. And so it's like really, really powerful in that regard because you can kind of, you can just really do, you can manage your state, you can have someone manage the state for you or you can manage the state however you want. When you were talking about like updating in real time, I was instantly thinking about like stock tickers, you know how they like yeah. blink green and red and things like that. Like that's what I was thinking of. And that's an awesome use case for that. All of our unit tests uh, for any other Firestore are fake stock data. Yeah, that, that's definitely awesome. Those, those improvements are they? Um, is that something that then is addition to the old API? So, like, if I already am using old Angular Fire stuff, I, I just get new enhancements, or do I have to make some changes? So it's a bit of a chicken and the egg. So, like, I I wanted to make it easy for people who are on the real time database to upgrade to Firestore if they wanted to. So I didn't want the API surface to be very different between them. So I did as best as I could. I mean, there's differences between the two APIs, so it's not a, they're not a mirror image of each other, but they're very close. And uh, so you, if you're an old, if you're on the V4, you kind of have to upgrade to V5, whether you're on the database or Firestore. So you do have to upgrade at one point, uh, but it's mostly um, if you're, if you're, I mean, you're not using the new features because they weren't there. So it's mostly like vanity changes. Um, but it's fairly simple to upgrade. And so if you upgrade to the new one for the real-time database, whenever you hit that point or whenever you see the need to upgrade to Angular Firestore, it's really easy. The most complicated thing would probably be um, if you wanted to change your data structure and so migrating your data over. But for the most part, uh, people adhere to a flat structure with the real-time database, which means it's either very simple to see where the nestings can occur, or you actually can continue to use that flat structure because there's no difference in Firestore of whether you use a flat structure or a nested structure. And then so, just to be clear, um, go ahead, Mike. Um, you, you mentioned, so the idea of getting each individual event changing versus the totality of the state, is that two different observables that are exposed? Yes. So you can get, so we have data, that's, uh, your data comes back as a snapshot and a snapshot is your, is the actual like data itself, but it also contains all this metadata about it, uh, especially, which is really helpful when you're talking about, um, uh, when you're dealing with offline and online. So you can get, uh, like actually whether that 
that update is persisted from the server or whether it's just a locally cached update, um, which allows you to do really cool things like offline UI. So you can show like the little like cloud with the X in it or like not saved or whatever. So you can give people like visual feedback with that. Um, but we allow you to see, uh, like, say, oh, here's all the snapshots, uh, you know, as an array of snapshots of all of my data. And that comes back as an observable of uh, snapshots. And so you say, all right, you map through them and transform the data as you want. And that's your state. That's just the whole array. But for state changes, you're basically getting back one by one what has happened. So it's the latest thing that has acted upon your state. And another one, which it's more fun and it's more of a debug tool than I've seen anyone actually have a use for it, uh, is called Audit Trail. And Audit Trail is the growing array of changes. So you can essentially say, like, uh, somewhere in your ng on init, you can say this dot, you know, Angular Firestore, create your collection dot audit trail, and then just do like a subscribe console log, and every time something changes, it will print out the entire array of everything that has happened on your state. And uh, one of the goals of building that is that I actually want to hook that into the uh, Redux dev tools, because that way it could actually give you a way to replay your entire state. Because each one of those items in the array is literally like this happened, then that happened, and then this happened, and then that happened. And even just having it in the uh, console is like really, really helpful because you'll like be looking through it and you're like, oh, that is not how I expected this like state, like the ordering to be. And it helps you see like what's going on. Okay. If I decided there was a use case that I wanted to take the uh, snapshot and each individual event of those two observables, is there any metadata across those that would allow me to essentially to synchronize to know that, hey, I got a new snapshot and it's associated with this update or... Yeah, so everything has a unique ID in Firestore. We will generate them for you if you want, but you can provide your own uh, IDs for your documents. And uh, and so, like, when you get that snapshot back, part of the metadata will be its ID, so you can, like, do whatever finding uh, from the state from, from the other one quite easily with that. Cool. You talked about you were comparing this to MongoDB earlier. If I'm on MongoDB or something like you know, a NoSQL database, how hard is it for me to upgrade to something like like the Fire database? That, so that's a great question. That was actually the number one question I like heard last week. Um, and I haven't done any MongoDB migration to this uh, in something like I definitely want to look into, but from, I haven't used MongoDB probably in like two years. Um, but from the last time I've used it, I, I've I'm fairly certain it would just be sort of like an export and then an import like script. Um, and I don't, depending on like how much data you have or, um, or like how, you know, you structured it, it, you know, that, so your mileage may vary on that, but since it follows like a very similar structure, it shouldn't be too crazy to, uh, like to do that upgrade. The hardest part will be is the fact that, um, your code's going to be totally different because you, you're living in this world where you're writing, you know, your server side, uh, you know, data retrieval and busing it down to the client. And so that sort of kind of goes away when you use, uh, you know, uh, Firestore. It doesn't mean you still can, you can still do like the, actually the, one of the cool things about Firestore is, is that um, it, it also works on the server. So there's SDKs for Node.js, Python, Go, Java. 
And uh, with Cloud Functions and Firebase, you can still like do, you know, you can do a trigger where you can do some complex computing on the server or do stuff like that. So you can still do server logic, but as far as migrating over, you're going to be doing a lot more on the client than you had done before. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. Thanks. And would that then essentially open up the possibility too of maybe using something like GraphQL now with Firestore? Um, you, yes, actually. So I haven't seen it with Firestore, but someone uh, um, did it with. Um, well, I've seen a bunch of samples where people have used Cloud Functions to spin up a GraphQL server, and they've used the real-time database as the backing for that. But just as easily switch that to Firestore. Cool. Yeah, how would that work with the real-time database? I mean, are you essentially at that point like severing the real-time database concept at that point if you were to use GraphQL with Firebase? So I'm not a GraphQL expert. It's one of those things that people always ask me. They're always like, hey, answer this GraphQL question for me. And I'm always just like, oh. So like, I, I'm not a huge expert in that. But uh, I what I from what I do know is like you're pretty much using whatever database you're using at that point is a glorified you know data store like you would yeah you you're I mean the a lot of people do use the real time database for that they'll actually just store JSON data in it and then use the REST API to retrieve data out of that whether for their app or for a demo or whatever it's like really easy for that use um, and yeah at that point you're not using the SDKs for that and you're really like you know buying into the GraphQL ecosystem. Which is like totally, which is totally viable use case. I think that's one thing that's pretty cool about the whole Firestore thing that you guys have implemented. That part um, is that it now provides us the opportunity to use the Fire. Do you call it like Fire something for the entire platform? Is like oh, Fire, Fire Plat or something? I'm, I'm so glad you asked. Uh, so yeah, so Firebase is the entire platform, and then we call the database the real-time database or the Firebase database, which is a mouthful. But it was definitely like we we wanted to keep the name Firebase, and we didn't want to just call the Firebase to be the database because there's like Firebase like well Firebase or actually not it's called Google Analytics for Firebase, but there's like. Uh, you know, Firebase storage or Fire. Like every time we build something, we can either preface preface Firebase before it, or we or we do an integration with Google Cloud where we sort of take the server component out for you. And so we either build like Firebase blank or we build Cloud blank for Firebase. That's sort of our mo. Okay, cool. So this Firebase ecosystem, we can keep leveraging and, and get all this goodness out of it. And now we have a way to do. Uh, document store type of stuff with that. So that's cool. Do you, uh, do you have some stuff you want to demo and show? I do. I'm, I'm still scared. I'm not going to lie. I, I have one last question. Okay. All right, Brocky, just for you. Yeah, thanks. I do what I can. It's a, it's, a, it's a serious question, though. So with the uh, Firebase database, uh, the real-time database, there was the uh, console in the browser that you can go and look at your data update in real-time in the browser. These, does the Firestore database have something very similar? Yes, actually. And that was something that I had the pleasure of working on for, and I'll be showing you in the demo for a while, because it is uh, an NGRX app itself. I got to bring NGRX in into Google and show people that. And most of them, when people first saw it, they were like, what is this? And then when they started using it, and they're like, can we use this everywhere? So <laughs> it's pretty awesome. All right. I can't wait to see it. Nice. 
All right. Well, well, this is a safe zone here for you, so it's going to be totally fine. You don't have to be nervous at all. You know, it's going to be great. I feel like before you do this episode, you need to do like a flashback to like the last episode I did where I was just like, oh man, I don't know what anything, like there's so many errors right now. Um, It's so weird because I totally remember the last time you're on here as being just this amazing, great episode. So I don't, I don't really don't know what you're talking about. Okay. Yeah. Let's just, let's just go with that one. Uh, So I created an app. Uh, I called it ZZ error because I called it error and then I couldn't find it in my huge thing. So I put Z on the end of it so I could go to the scroll to the very bottom and find it. It's how I stay organized. But uh, what this is just an Angular CLI app. And what I've done is I actually created these like, uh, like for a start an app module. And the way it kind of works is, is that you have your app root and you have a landing page. You can go to a login page. And then there's also a list page. This is like a really simple list app. And so right now, if I'm in the right branch, which I think I am, it's just, uh, the way it works is it's just you have one note, and then I render to this note component. And I think it's run, no, it's not running, so run and just serve. And so I'll actually show it here in the browser once Webpack finishes doing its business. It's sort of the thing is what I'm going to do here is I'm going to take show, kind of walk through this app, show you how it works, and then I'm going to... Um, I'm going to convert this from using like an in-memory array to using Angular Firestore. And then if I'm really lucky, uh, I will get a working service worker spun up in this and show you the offline. But that is that is like, uh, that thing works like, you know, 50% of the time. All right, so here's the app. So let me just go over. All right, so I got all this notes for all because that's the first thing I thought about. Uh, log I'm going to log out. I'm going to log in, and we just have Google login, and then it's going to show my emails. Is that Google login part of the uh, Fire, Firebase suite? Yes. There's probably so much I've skipped over because I was so focused on Firestore. But yeah, like the Angular or Firebase has an authentication system that does all like... Uh, because serverless is the hot word to say now, like serverless auth, where you can uh, basically say, hey, log me in with Google, Twitter, Facebook, GitHub, uh, email password. And there's a really cool one called Anonymous, which allows you to just sort of log someone in without any uh, you know, input. You, they can just kind of like log as like log in as guest or check out as guest or something like that. And uh, that all works without having to run a server. And you can do it all just from the browser. Um, and then that's not even doing the whole uh, service justice because you can actually implement any uh, provider you want with it. Like Firebase authentication can actually be the only Firebase service you use, and you can use it to authenticate your own server, or you can log in with LinkedIn or Instagram or your own system. It doesn't, you know, it's super super flexible. So it also supports like a lot on the server. Um, so yeah, so like that's sort of the what happens here is that we're in this uh, list page where it's a list of notes, and the way this kind of works is, which is pretty cool, is we actually resolve uh, the current user in. So this data, we know they're logged in, so we just sort of resolve that in, and then when we get here, we can just say. Uh, we can actually, from the activated route, pull back the user and start operating on that on that data. And if I roll over here, 
To answer your question, Brocky, this is the uh, new UI. So this right here, is, I have a users, and I have this document. I'm actually going to give it a refresh because I think it's been sitting for a really, really long time. And let's see, undefined. Oh, here we go. I forgot to name something. But then there's this concept of sub-collections. And you can see that I have all of these in here. and this is sort of like, you know, oh, hey, like I can actually go and nest data now. And I'm pretty sure this is just a bug for me. So I'll probably end up just like, you know, you can go through and, you know, delete things and kind of manage it. And it works in this sort of always like collection, document, collection, you know, sort of so on and so forth. And then also it's still really cool if you want to switch back to the real-time database, you can do that, you know, sort of boom. Works really nice uh, that way. And so you get a lot of cool feedback about your data. So what I want to do now is be able to take this activated route and say, like, OK, I, I know I'm on the list page, but I'm going to need to get back my, uh, my user ID. And let's start actually retrieving data based upon that or saving data. So I'm going to go into here and oh, still have the import up, so that makes it easy. So everything within Angular Fire uh, is in the Angular Fire 2 package. Every time I say Angular Fire 2, Igor Minar gets really angry. And he's like, why do you have the 2? And you know, we have this whole little debate. And I tell him it's not for about Angular 2. It's about the second Angular Fire. And I think that just makes him matter. So he's working with me on uh, fixing this. And we have something in store. But the way it works is you import from Angular Fire to slash whatever feature you're trying to use. And each one of, if you're doing a module setup, which we are right in here, the cool thing about this is, is that with the Angular Firestore module, you include it in here, and it can resolve lazily, which is actually happening in this case. So that won't actually load until this module loads. And all that's sort of just handled for you because it encapsulates all the import paths inside of the module. And so inside of here, I'm going to take this Angular Firestore service, and I'm going to inject it. Private read only AFS, Angular Firestore. And so now, rather than getting back these notes as an array, we're going to get them back as an observable of notes, because we can get it's not just one set. It can be a whole set of notes. So I'm going to say, give me an observable of notes and get rid of that equal sign. And so this is how we're going to uh, sort of stream our data. So up here in app note list, where instead of saying notes, we'll probably say pipe async. So that will work. And then now I want to create another property. And this is very Angular uh, Fire store specific. So this right, the kind of the beauty here is, is this is not Angular Firestore specific. Your app's currently working with observables, or you, you want to move off Firebase or like we make it very clear that we just spit out observables. And so you can kind of you can come, you can you can bring your app onto Firebase and say, oh I'm using observables, this is easy, or you can you know leave and you're still using observables. There's nothing really custom that was part of the um, move off of the old API. So if I want to create a notes collection, I'm going to create it as an Angular Firestore collection. 
and I'm going to give it a single, a singular type of note. And the reason why this is singular and this is not is because if I type it as singular, I can do strongly typed updates. So if I want to add a new note, I'm not adding an array of notes, I'm adding a single note. But if I want to retrieve back a list of notes, it's really easy to, in the underneath the library, to say, hey, I know this type. It's going to be an array of this type. So you'll see that here in just a second. So if I want to get the user, and I really need to thank Austin for uh, telling me about route.snapshot, uh, which is not asynchronous. Uh, in this case, I'm going to say, all right, here's uh, my user data. And it's going. I can say like user.uid to get back the ID back. So to do that, now I can say this.notesCollection equals this.afs.notesCollection. Collection and with collection, I say, okay, where is this data located? So I have everything located nested right now at users slash whatever their UID slash notes, and so I can just kind of be clever here, turn these into template strings, and from here I can say user dot UID. And so now at this point, I can. Uh, I could call subscribe, or actually not subscribe anymore. What I can do is I can actually, here's where all the methods are that I was talking about earlier. So if I wanted to, just, to get the actual state back, I can use this uh, value changes, which returns everything, as, all the values, like as unwrapped snapshot is just plain old JSON objects, like POJOs, uh, as an observable. So it's an array of that. So dot value changes will uh, well that will get mad at me. So if I say this dot notes is this dot notes collection dot value changes, this is really happy because it's saying okay cool this returns me back an array of notes. Uh, but if you want to do something really custom with the uh, Metadata, you can use snapshot changes, which is now mad about because it's saying, hey, this is a document change action, and I expected note. But from with here, though, you can use all these observable methods. And so you can get the action, let's say action dot, action dot, uh, it's an array, so you can say action dot map, and like you can do all this custom stuff in here if you want. Uh, I don't need that at the moment, so I can use value changes. But as before, if I was trying to use state changes, I can get the individual stuff back. But we'll get to that in a minute. So at this point, I have all these notes. And it's going to say, this notes collection value changes. See how the build runs. No build error. So this is always the really scary moment for me, because this is where things don't work. And oh my god, it worked. That is just so weird. And I think it's kind of hacky right now, because I think I messed up on the UID, because I think that's undefined means that I actually um, uh, don't have a real user ID. But I'm going to pretend like I do, because things are on the page. And so what I can do at this point is, is I'm going to want to add something and then hit Add and see this Add to the list. And to do that, I'm going to say this.notesCollection. And I say Add. And then at this point, you can see here is that TypeScript saying, OK, you said that this is a collection of notes. So it's giving me these red squigglies because it wants me to pass back a note interface. And so for me, a note interface only requires text, which since I have text being passed in uh, on the update, I can just destructure it. And so now if I save, let's go through this again. And now I can say, like, Hello, Angular Air. 
add, and you see that it gets added to the list. And it's not currently being added in order because I'm not ordering it by anything, and I'm adding unique uh, IDs. And so the unique IDs are not ordered, so it'll be a random order. If I wanted to do any type of specific order, I could use uh, some Firestore querying. I'd, you know, I could add a timestamp and say, okay, order by from when these were added, or order by them alphabetically. I can. There's like all these different ways of doing that. You can do that inside of this when you create a collection allows you to create this thing we call a query callback. And a query callback is where you can formulate a query using the Firestore SDK. So you can say, OK, query, uh, I want to know where my notes, where, like, um, where the text is equal to if someone said hi. Or you can, if I had another property, if it was, um, I'm trying to think here, if the uh, timestamp is greater than you would say like date now or something like that. So it's like all this rich querying that we never had before. Like this this query right here is not currently possible uh, on a server side way with the real time database, but with Firestore, it's you know just as easy as one line. Hey, question. question. Yes. So when so you when add, add right here and it pushes into the is that updated in the server before it pushes it into the notes collection in my UI renders, or is it pushing it into the UI and updating the notes collection at the same time? And what if it weren't? What if it couldn't reach the server and update it? Would it automatically redact it out? Uh, so this is that's a great question. So what happens here is that this is called latency compensation, or some people call it like optimistic updating, and so uh, optimistic concurrency. And so what happens here is that when we call add, it gets added locally or it gets appended to what's called like a write queue. And so the write queue is a list of writes that need to go out to the server and get persisted. And with uh, value changes, you won't know whether that write is uh, local, uh, hasn't been persisted, if it's just local, or if it's on the server. And you can learn more with that by using snapshot changes, because it'll give you like much more rich information. Uh, but um, what, uh, what we do is we always do it locally first, and then we uh, go out and then write it to the server. Now, you can write. Uh, uh, some of you who haven't heard of Firebase are probably thinking, like, how can you do just client-server communication? How is this secure? And we actually have a declarative rules language we call security rules, where you can essentially annotate your data structure or write these really powerful expressions that say, like, only allow these people uh, or the, a user with this ID to access this data or only restrict this path to allow these properties to be updated on it or uh, don't accept an update uh, if it's greater than uh, or if it has this property. There's like all these really expressive things you can do. And so let's say if it fails a security rule, then we will actually go back and redact it or roll it out. So we do this optimistic, and it usually happens so fast that you don't notice it. Um, but if you do have this sort of offline, online, um, you know, if you're operating offline, when you go online, we'll actually be able to securely do what your, you know, what you've specified in your security rules. So we apply locally, and then we can remove if it didn't meet that criteria. So putting on my security hat here, um, this is client side. So theoretically, someone could manipulate your rule base there, and mm -hmm. and still go. 
No, so the rules are are server side. Um, you you can write them on your computer, but you deploy them to our servers, and every uh, write uh, is applied through the security rules. So uh, as long as your security rules are like you know are solid, like it doesn't matter if someone tries to like you know you know do whatever manipulation to your uh, database. Gotcha. Thank you. Yeah. So. Just to demonstrate the differences, so this right here is state. So like state, oops, no Siri, I never want you enabled. Uh, state, and so it's like, what does my structure look like? And this state is really nice when you um, really kind of want to manage yourself. I just have a list of this or just one object. And this is, you know, this is like a really simple way of doing it. But sometimes you want to compute things out and you want to know, like, you know, you want actions or events, whatever you prefer to call them. And this is pretty much like, what the heck is happening? And that's sort of what happens here. And so what we can do is we can actually use the notes collection. And so I can say notes collection dot state changes. And I can get really, really granular here. And I can say, only give me the added and the removed. And uh, you know, and if you keep this blank, it does added, removed, and modified. So you can mix and match for whatever you want. But if we're going to listen to everything, we can say, all right, on state changes, and we're going to subscribe and just do a console log. So what this will do is it'll print out to us like everything that's going on. We go and make sure the build worked. Yes. So now at this point, if I go into the console, we immediately get seven. And that's because if you look, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And what we can see here is that we have seven added types. And so this adheres to a like Redux style action, but it's not like uh, it's not just for Redux style. It's just a, a very common and nice uh, interface. And so in here, we have a payload. And within payload, you can see the document. And you can see like uh, the, sort of the old array indexes. And since they're all added, each old index will be negative 1 because then it didn't exist before. But if this item were to move, we would actually see the old index was 0, and the new index is wherever it moved to. And so the document is the snapshot. And this is where you can see the metadata. And the metadata, you can see it says from cache is false. So we know that this right here is from the server. If from cache was true, then we know that these updates haven't been synced yet. And we can use this to do sort of that offline online UI. And then to Brocky's question, this is our generated ID. This is how we can find the differences between everything. And so at this point, we've seen that we had seven things added. And so now we'll go and we'll actually- Can I ask a quick question? Yeah, go ahead. About that. So you have seven different things are, that are added, but I'm assuming that the network there is optimized so that that's not actually seven different um, requests coming across the wire. That's just one event with seven different actions upon that data. Yes, and so the way that um, so the real time database and Firestore are different in this regards, but they are both extremely optimized for network. Uh, uh, for dealing with network operations, uh, you get uh, when you do an update, you only get the sync of synced value changes, like the delta changes between that. So you, if you add, so like when I add a new item here, it's not going to say, oh, we went from seven items to eight items. Let me send you down the new eight. You only ever get the one item. And even in the in the real time database, there's a way to uh, since nothing in the real time database is technically a list. Everything is an object. Um, 
when you do, uh, when you listen to a large object and you update one thing, we give you the new state of the object back when you use the on value event. And a lot of people, when they first see that, they think, oh, you just downloaded the whole object all over again. Uh, that's, that can't be efficient, but that's not actually what we do is whether you're using child events with the real-time database or you're listening to the whole object, it's just the difference. Every single time, we will locally consolidate the state for you and you know spit that out. But we don't, uh, unless there you know, is a huge state change or unless we really can't help it, uh, for some reason we have to go back and re-download data. Like, like majority of the time we are doing uh, these delta operations, which is much, much better on uh, your network. Thank you for optimizing our applications for us. Trying. So we're going to add this one. And now we have this one right here. And you can see that it says, the type is added. And so this was our first state changes was an array of seven, and our second state changes was an array of one, and it's because we added one item. And if I actually go out here to the database and I click on this one, this is the, oh my God, please work. And if I delete this document, you can see we had another item here, and we removed that one. You can see it's no longer in our state, and so we can listen to these one by one. And if I would have had, uh, you know, more, if I would have prepared more, I would have say if I had more time. But you always have more time. You just have to say if I would have prioritized it more, which I should have. I was trying to build a little like UI pop up that showed these things as they happened. And so this is really like this awesome way of saying like, hey, I'm synchronizing state to the view, but also I can see these events as they happen. And the one I also uh, spoke about was instead of using state changes, you can use audit trail. And so with audit trail, pull that rebuilt. It starts out the same as before. We have this array of seven because they were all added. So that's the first thing. And if I go again, I'll just go and delete low angular error we get eight. And so there's not actually eight items uh, in our database uh, anymore. There's actually only six items because we removed one. But we've done eight actions or eight events. We have added, 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 then removed. And so if we actually, uh, if you reduce through this, you can actually reduce to your computed state. And this is really, really powerful for NGRX because this is pretty much all Redux is, is this whole trail of actions. And with this method, you can actually see that uh, happen with your database. And so if we were doing something really complicated here, like a stock ticker, um, you can actually uh, really compute everything out in this whole like way. It's the whole replay of everything that possibly happened in your app. So, one question. So I have a question. Yeah, yeah I have a question. So, you're working with Fire with the store data, the store database right now. Is that yes. correct? Okay. And but it seems to me like there's some real time stuff going on here, right? You just deleted something and it sent over the wire to my app and updated it. Is that correct? Correct. I, so, I didn't see that they were both real time, did I? So, so is that the case? Yes, they are both real time. Uh, that was, you know, a huge cornerstone of you know Firebase and databases. And so, yeah, the Angular Firestore, or sorry, it just Firestore itself, it works in real time just like the real time database does. Okay, so I, I guess I'm a little bit confused about why would I want to do Firebase if Firestore gives me that as well. So the real time database, the three. So the real-time database is like super easy to get started with, and the way you store your data is like 
uh, let's use comments. So like, let's just say const my data in the database. You have this right here. So you have this object right here is truly the backing of the, of the real-time database. So you could say, let's store users. And so with here, we're going to say users, and we're going to have users David. And then I don't need the quotes there. I'm just so thinking it's JSON. So we have users David. And then you can say his email is you know david at david.com. And then if we also wanted to, it'd say, OK, we have users David. And I also want to store the notes for David. So we'll have notes. And you can see here, this is an object, not an array. And so we'd have whatever unique ID here, and then we would say, OK, like, uh, be prepped for Angular Air. And so this right here, if I was trying to access this with the real-time database, so I'd say, like, const ref equals, what is it, uh, ref dot, or app dot database dot ref, where I'd say, OK, let's start with users, so users, and then let's get to David. And David. So now this right here, if I'd say ref.onValue snap log snap.data, what this does right here is it will return everything underneath David. And so if I'm just trying to get profile information, I probably don't want these notes. Like in this case, it's not a big deal because it's this tiny little object. But imagine if there was 1,000 notes. You would pull back 1,000 notes just to do this email. So what we tell people to do is don't do that, do this. And so you would say user notes. And it would be David. And it would be. You probably wouldn't need the notes key anymore, and you would just do something like this. And so now these are in two separate places, and you know, and this is a really like trivial case. It's not a big deal, but you start doing this for a lot of things, and you're breaking things out. You know, the mental model is not as strong as having being nested. And then also, if I want to do like stronger querying, I can't do that with the real-time database. So the real-time database, let's say the text was like hello, and the timestamp was you know, some Unix thing. And then we also had like, I don't know, order. And we could do like a custom ordering or whatever. I can only query off one of these fields with a real-time database, whereas with Firestore, I can actually query off all of the fields. Uh, so there's it's way more powerful in that regard. And also with Firestore, uh, you can, like I said, when you go offline, you, which I'll show you in here in just a minute, uh, you can just, with one line of code, you go offline, and it's like a perfect backing for PWAs. And that's something that the real-time database SDK doesn't do today. And so the real-time, with Firestore, you can nest this data all you want. You can, you know, you because each, uh, the isolation level of the database is on the document. So you can say, if I get back the document, I'm not going to pull back all its sub-collections unless I explicitly want to do that as well. So it's much uh, easier to reason about your data. Is awesome. that I think that's a, yeah, I think that's a great explanation. Yeah. Yep. Now, now, the pros for the real-time databases is that this is really, really easy. Like, if you just need to store and sync some JSON data, it doesn't get any easier than this. So, like, this is awesome. Like, uh, at Chrome Dev Summit, this guy came up to me, and they had this piano that was just playing uh, based upon, like, an app or noise in another room. And then he came up to me and was like, hey, you work at Firebase. 
this piano is synced off Firebase. And he's like, and all we do is whenever a noise is made on this app, we just change that setting in the database and then it syncs it down to this piano's like whatever microcontroller and it just presses that key. And, uh, and that's really simple. He doesn't need complex querying. It doesn't matter about structuring data and the offline's not a big deal either. So in this case, like the real-time database works perfectly for him. Migrating over to Firestore wasn't really a big deal for him. So he could stick with that. So those are sort of like the two uh, sides of the coin there. Nice, nice. Okay, so rooting to offline, what's really cool here is if I go into my, uh, I'm gonna go to the first place where I'm using my, in the login module where I'm actually saving my users, uh, where I import the Angular Fire module, I just call this line called enable persistence. And this is the one line of code you need to enable offline, and like that's, that's like all you have to do. There's no difference between online data and offline data when you're working locally in your app. There's not like a pocket of offline data that you keep pinned or synced offline and certain data that's not. We persist everything and you just don't think about it. It just works. Now, um, I could go here into this demo and say like, okay, let's turn this network offline and let me show you that it still works. But the real-time database did that as, as well. What we really wanna do is show what happens after the refresh. But that's not going to work for me because I don't have a service worker. So what I'm going to attempt to do right now, my fingers totally crossed here, I am going to use the Workbox CLI. So who on the panel has ever heard of or used Workbox.js? I've heard of it. I haven't used it specifically. So have you, who on the panel has used uh, service workers? Can you see us raising our hands? <laughs> oh, no, I can't see anything. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay, so Workbox CLI is really, really nice because it is a super advanced like uh, service worker library. And so the CLI sort of generates your service worker for you. And there's all these different ways of doing it. But if you're dealing with caching of static assets only, so I only want to, like, which is when you're building a single page app, which is exactly what you're doing, um, the Workbox CLI, like it's super, super simple, I say and hope to get it working. But it, basically what's going to happen here is it's going to say, okay, let's run Workbox. Oh, wait, we had to use Workbox CLI generate SW, so this one right here. So I'll say Workbox CLI generate SW. And it goes, all right, where's the root of your web app? And so it's going to think source, uh, but it's that's not the case. They, oh, I need to actually do an ng build before I do this. I'll do ng build dash dash prod. Because what I wanted to do is I don't want it to look at my source assets because that's all TypeScript or SAS. Oh, no, what did I do? I knew there was going to be one thing. Let's see here. Oh, I know what this is. It says landing page component is part of the declaration of two modules. Yes, it is. Okay, so landing page component. So declaration. Oh, yes. I'm going to go and blame the Angular CLI on this one, Brocky. No, I'm just kidding. Um, where is it? Okay. I'm going to say that you guys tried to just add it, you know, and be super smart. Let's see here. Even though I probably did that. So now we'll, argue, we'll argue offline. <laughs> All right, so now I'm going to build this. It's going to come. There's going to be this little warning. This is every time I see this warning, um, 
uh, I have to fix it. But when I first saw this warning, it said this will come in Angular in V5, and I was like, oh man, I gotta fix that soon. And then when I upgraded to V5, this message literally says, this will become an error in Angular V6, and I was like, yes, I have some time. All right, great, so now we have this dist section. So this is our whole app that we could, you know, deploy out to some static server. And what I want to do now is, is go run Workbox again, and it's going to say, all right, where's the root? So our real web app is in disk, not in source. So I'm going to say disk, and it's going to say, hey, what do you want to cache? And I really want to cache everything. And it says, all right, where do you want this service worker to be? And I want it to be in dist. And should I save these settings? Of course you should. Oh, because oh, I called it wait, what? enable to write service worker SW dish should be a, oh, I think it's because I didn't give it a dot slash. So if I do this again, I'll just go back to the config. I think I need to say like dot slash or yeah, I think I need to say dot slash dist. If I do that, I don't know. I don't know. It seems to be working though. Let's see here. If I go into dist, no, it's not working. All right. Uh, there's always something. All right. Let's see here. Please run. Oh, because there was an update. I'm able to write the service worker file. All right, he's going to delete this and run it again. Somewhere, Jeff Posnick, the guy who wrote one of the team members of this, is going to see this and be like, you're doing it wrong. Dist text, where should be the path? So I, where am I at? I'm at zz air, so I'm going to say dot slash dist. This what? I'm able to write the service worker file. SW dest destination should be a full path to a. F oh, oh man, I know what. Reading is hard. Gee, this will work. It did. It wants an actual file name, and I was just providing a folder name. All right, great. So this is the file it generated for me. And what's really cool about this is, is that if you ever built service workers all by yourself, you have to deal with uh, cache invalidation, which, as the old saying goes, is the you know it's the easiest part of computer science. And so you have this URL right here, which is these are my Webpack chunks for doing lazy loading. But this is a revision, uh, like this uh, revision hash, which is awesome because any single time this chunk changes, this revision will be updated, and then. Workbox just actually handles uh, and manages this for me. And so this works on index.html, my inline, like all this stuff. It, it's really, really nice. And then this is really all the Workbox code there is to it. And I didn't even write any of it. And so the only thing I do need to do is register the service worker, which I'm going to sort of cheat and unminify this. And then down here, I'm going to create a script tag. I'm not even going to do a service worker check because I don't need to. And so I'll say navigator.serviceworker.register. And I want it to register, actually, I'll do that root, swjs. And then, so the registration, and say console.log the registration. Else I'm going to catch console.error. Error. All right, so what? The only thing I'm missing, actually, no, I think this is good at this point. You have a quick yeah. type. Okay, help me. Reg versus ref. That would just be undefined. <laughs> but thank you. <laughs> All right. So now what I want to do is I need to serve from here. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to say 
logged in as Firebase. Okay, cool. Logged in as the right account. So I'm going to say Firebase init hosting. And what did I call this? I can't remember what I called this. I'm going to always oh, changing. That's what I called it. So my public directory is dist. And great. And so now I have this. And so I can say Firebase serve. I'm going to serve this from 5004. So let's go out to local host 5004. We have this. And now let's oh, I've got a console error. Failed to register service worker. Somehow I figured that was going to happen. And my network's still on fly. Okay, cool. So application. I do a refresh. Says it's oh, I bet you we unregister this. I wondered if there was going to be a so I don't know what this is. This I'm gonna pretend like that's not gonna affect anything, even though it likely will. Um because it says in the application. So if you've never Debug service workers before. This is sort of like if this says status green, like usually things are working or at least not airing out. And so if I go to the network and do offline and I do a refresh, it didn't work. So that did affect me. Yeah, so this is not fully, I think it's not installing the service worker just yet. I might do that. I'm afraid I, okay, so it does have to right. What? Did you, have did you have to do the? Sorry. Sorry. No, no, you continue. Did you did have you... to do the um, activate the service worker in the Angular CLI project in the app? No, so this is independent of the Angular CLI service worker. I actually wonder, I shouldn't need to do that. So effectively, what's happening in the service worker is that it's going to do import scripts and it's going to import workbox for me. But when I do a network request, actually, you don't ever see it import workbox. Um, I can actually I don't even see it do the service worker. Is it? Let's see, go down here. So if we go into the script navigator, service worker register. Let's go into sources, console log. So let's see. It's activated, which is not necessarily it's weird because it says it's activated and running, so it should run. Oh, wait. I wonder if, oh, I know exactly why this happens. So there's two ways for me to fix this. And I'm going to be really cheap right now as I do this. So I'm going to actually, I need a slash. Uh, I think this is what I needed. I remember running into this once. If you use clean URLs, you don't run into this, which is a way of saying, like, hey, don't call .html for anything. Just resolve it to whatever its name is. And I think service workers work strangely with clean URLs. So now, because it would. Because basically what it's going to do is it's going to cache slash index.html, but it's not going to cache slash. So now go into, oh, now we got an error. A known error while fetching the scripts. So let's just refresh. Oh, it's still, oh, oh, no, OK. It happened in different order this time. Let's see what happens. If I go into network, offline. OK, this is cool. I just didn't do the CSS, which I'm serving over a CDN, which I could have cached. And so now what's cool about this is, is that my app serves offline without any CSS, really. 
which means it's also going to allow me to click it. But let me just go back online and go to the right stuff. So I'll log in. Don't let me log in. Why won't it let me log in? Oh, man, now I have another bug. If I go to slash login. Or forge. Oh, I know why, because I didn't. Ah, uh, yes. There's one thing I needed to do. Ah, uh, OK. Now I feel like a fool. I didn't think about this. I'm trying to think if I want to do this live or not. So effectively, what the service worker is doing is it's saying, hey, I can't go to login because that's not a real page. And so I basically need to set up these rewrites. And so I go to Firebase. I'll let me do this. Well, we are getting to the. All right, I'm just going to go. So you know, I, I've lost track of time. Basically, all I needed to do was do a redirect so it could read the clean URLs, so it could actually know that login reports, uh, or login actually is just a, uh, like, it's a client-side route. Um, and then eventually, if I would have made it to the, uh, my online, I would have made it to the right place, I actually would have shown you that even going offline, I could have continued to operate. I promise it works. I should have prepared that a little better than what I did. So to clarify, that server-side rewrite is for the Firebase hosting to say, hey, if you receive this route, don't worry about it. Just serve up index.html and let the client side handle the routing. Correct. And that's what I did set up. And I even had the option to set that up. And I was like, no, nah, I'm not going to do that. And uh, I, and then as soon as I hit that, I was like, I made a mistake. Well, that's we a big thing that a lot of people miss as well. Yeah, I, I really want to do a whole tutorial on this because, like, I sort of just freestyle this. But I think, like, uh, even myself could be could benefit from a script of like, "Hey, here's the things you forgot to do, even though you've done it before." Well, in, in all fairness, we talked a lot in the very beginning. Had a lot of questions for you, so like, we didn't get to leave you a whole lot of time to to demo this episode. So, uh, but it was really cool to check out and and see the the new stuff uh, with Angular Fire. Two or not two, whatever you're going to rename it to, uh, <laughs> and uh, uh, the Fire Store things, and so, yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. Cool, yeah, and I'll have this up on uh, GitHub, and uh, we'll put it in where are the links to this, and I'll get that whole thing fixed, so you'll see a real working demo of this. Cool. So last week's episode, I was really uh, excited over schematics and kind of let everybody know how awesome schematics was and how excited I am over it. But I'm going to push that to the side now and and be really excited about uh, Firestore. Uh, I think that's my new um, excitement here. So schematics are out the window. Forget about it. Now I'm onto this Firestore thing. It's pretty cool. I'll make sure Hans hears that. Oh, okay. Yeah, I guess there's no no way around it. He's hearing it. <laughs> I'll come back to it someday, you know. But uh, yeah, this is really cool. All right. Well, um, I guess we better get to some quick picks here, and then and then we'll kind of call it a show. Uh, does anybody have any picks? Uh, Austin, got anything? Nothing this week. I gave them all. I I'm either, you know, have a ton or I have none. So this week it's a none week. All right, all right. You could pick. Uh, you could pick this stuff. Yeah, and I guess one other thing. Um, so last week I actually did a front-end developer survey. Uh, I don't know if anyone saw that, um, but it was basically a list of questions like, "What frameworks do you use at work? What do you use at home? How big is your company? Like, what's your editor? Things like that. Like all things as us front-end developers use." 
And um, I'm actually in the process of tallying up the results. So be looking out for that blog post on that. Yeah, that was a good pick. I like that. Mike? Just one. Uh, next week is Angular Connect, a uh, major uh, Angular conference next week in London, England. Uh, excited. I'm actually going to be there, so super excited for that next week. And I believe videos from those talks are all live streamed. I believe. I will be there too. Uh, Jeff Cross and I are doing a uh, workshop on PWAs. So some of the stuff that we talked about today with servers worker and stuff. So uh, I think there might be some slots still open for that. So check that out if you're going to Angular Connect. Um, my pick uh, is this Angular Morse code with RxJS example. Uh, it kind of shows doing Morse code stuff, but with RxJS and observable streams and has some really cool examples of handling uh, first order and higher order observables and combining those and getting the data out that you need and stuff like that. So it's pretty cool. Um, if you just Google Angular Morse code with RxJS, you can find the repo on it. That was my pick. All right, David, uh, close this out here. What, what are your picks? So there's two, I have two picks. One thing I'm really, really excited for, one of the things that uh, Angular team's working on, if you watch the Angular Mix talk Rob Wormall did on Angular Elements, that is something I'm super, super excited for because there's a lot of possibilities that, that become available with that. Uh, so if you're not familiar with Angular Elements, it's uh, Angular's like new support of uh, custom elements that are you know the actual... Uh, W3C spec. And what's really cool about that is you can create a custom element using Angular. And then when you drop that custom element on the page, it just automatically boots up. And what's great about that is Angular now becomes sort of this like drag, or no, not drag and drop, uh, sort of this drop in component into your application. So you can like layer in all the static content that's just generated whatever way you want. You generate static content with Angular. Uh, and then you can put these, these inert components in. Uh, they could be your comments widget or your sidebar or whatever. And then when uh, they become defined and everything, it just boots up. There's no ng module or like or bootstrap process. It just just kind of happens. It's really really awesome. And uh, doing things like lazy loading with that, you can lazy load Angular elements with any router. Actually, not even just the Angular router. Uh, it becomes really really cool because they can go from inert elements to full blown little widgets within like you know like really short period of time. And so that project is one that you should follow or watch that talk. It was really awesome. And the second one is a library I'm working on. So I do a lot with Angular Universal. I built a library called Angular Static, which allows you to sort of uh, inject data from a top-down uh, perspective, sort of like React. And then from there, you can generate an entire static website using just like this little function. Uh, so you can build... So instead of using like Jade or... Uh, or pug, whatever it's called now, twig, or any server templating language, you can actually just use Angular as your server template. And uh, it's just, it's really cool because you can write components on the server and then just serve up HTML and it doesn't actually include any of the JavaScript. That sounds really awesome. I want to check that out. Yeah, so I'll leave a link to that. Yeah, I built that because I was just tired of debating what server templating language I should use nowadays. And then I was like, or I could just use a client-side framework for a server-side templating language, but it just totally works. That's awesome. Yeah, that's a debate that happens all the time, right? Uh, it's like, I want to live in Angular. How do I keep living in it? Now we can. Very cool. All 
All right, David. Well, thanks a lot for coming on. Really appreciate it. Really appreciate you sharing your time and uh, the demos and, and discussing all this stuff. Uh, we're all excited about it. So thank you very much. All right. I'll be with it. Sorry. <laughs> Mike, did you have something to say? I think we have a ghost on the show today. We've had two people drop off. <laughs> We're about to have three more drop off. <laughs> All right. Well, with that, let's put a wrap on it. And uh, we'll see you next week. Uh, think, no, wait. No, no next week. Because we're going to, Mike and I will be at Angular Connect. Uh, so unless we do a show from there, but I don't think that we're planning on it. So a week after that, catch you all of it. All right. All thanks. Right. Later. Later.